0: And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is now uh, hour two of Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. My power panel today is Jeff Verdorn, Trevor Rubenstein, and Aaron Broughton. They are willing and able to take whatever calls, well, calls, texts that you have, 877-933-2484. We've got lots of great questions coming in, so don't be bashful. Send your question over, 877-933-2484. If you're more... Comfortable with email, you can email me, Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, here's a question. Um, let's see here. What about cremation? Is it okay to be cremated? Is it wrong to be cremated? Who wants to go first? This is this question comes up
1: often in my end times class when we are talking about resurrection day, glorification day, the day that we receive our glorified bodies. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 does a pretty good job of describing our earthly body, what both actually Paul and Peter call this tent of our body, this temporary dwelling. Scripture makes it clear that this temporary dwelling came from the dust of the earth and is going to return back to the dust of the earth. But every single believer is going to receive a new glorified body on Resurrection Day. So there. there's no admonition in Scripture how to dispose of the old body. It's going to return to the dust of the ground. If you cremate a body, it's going to return to the dust that much faster, right? But how, what, how much of Paul's body from 2,000 years ago is left? Well, the answer is nothing. It's all returned. The atoms are all over the, wherever they are, and yet he will receive a glorified body just like us. Now I think Jewish tradition is that they buried their dead, and then they just like Jesus was buried in a tomb, and then about a year later they'd go in and gather the bones and put them in an ossuary, and then that would be a permanent burial place. And the pagans would tend to burn their dead, and the Jews didn't. I think that tradition is carried over into Christianity. But regardless, whatever happens to your earthly body, whether you bury it, you burn it, it's eaten, it's blown up, it's whatever happens to it, if you are in Christ, you will receive a glorified body.
2: Amen. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true, Jeff. And, and uh, it's interesting, I have a personal conviction about this, and I can't find a biblical reason why we need to be buried, but it sure bothers me to think about being cremated instead. It's personal. It has nothing to do with scripture. As Jeff said, absolutely. If somebody is, dies in a horrible fire and their faith and trust is in Jesus, I mean, they're going to be resurrected into eternal life. There's no question about it. Um, but there's elements to it. And Jeff uh, brought up that maybe, uh, maybe my, um, my being hesitant in that regard has to do with, I'm Jewish, of course, and, and my, my people, uh, historically have, have shied from it, although these days less so. But, uh, I mean, Jewish people have been burned to death historically, uh, by, uh, uh, under persecution and such. And so it, it's kind of seen negatively. But I think more than that for me, um, is it seems like burial can be a testimony. Um, it's, it's a testimony as, as this body goes into the earth and the soul goes to be with the Lord, that at the end, that soul will return and this body will come out. And uh and so it seems to be more symbolic, right, as a testimony than anything um that theologically would dictate that anything's good or bad. Actually funny story. The the first book I ever read that I thought was in the Bible was the book of Tobit. Um, I, I, I gotta, uh, yeah, so I, I don't want to go into too much detail, but the first Bible I ever received was from a a non-Jewish Bible was from a Catholic person. And uh, I went to the end of the Old Testament and I figured this must be where the New Testament starts. But according to the Catholic Bible, of course, it's the Deuteronical Apocryphal Books, which starts with Tobit. So it was the first book I read, and it's a strange story, right? I don't say this offensive, meaning intending to be offensive, just very unusual, in that uh, there's a woman who keeps, uh, marrying men and they keep getting killed by demons that are choking them. And this is an intertestamental book. It's not in our, in our official scripture, but it was Jewish writing. And she eventually marries a righteous man named Tobit. And the, and the way that his righteousness is established is he buries dead people that died in war. And uh, and because of that, he overcomes this kind of demonic thing, which is just uh, just uh, so, just something that I had read previously. But so culturally, we can see at least that it was important to the Jewish community to bury. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, here is another question that came in: Will our glorified body look like our current body?
2: I hope,
0: I hope not. I hope not. Yeah, <laughs> it to be better. Going <laughs> <laughs> to be awesome, right?
1: It's yeah. look. The only example we have is Christ. He's the only one who's been glorified, and he was recognized, uh, but not right away so there's, there 's you know you rece- we receive a new imperishable as Paul calls in first corinthians fifteen an imperishable body and uh, the it's it also appears that the laws of physics that constrain our earthly bodies are not going to constrain our glorified bodies, so Jesus disappeared from the men on the road to Emmaus appeared in a locked room. Uh, and yet he was touched. He was uh, held by Mary. He uh, Thomas touched him. He ate fish with Peter, um, which is really good news that we're going to be able to eat for all of eternity, right? Uh, and yet, it, it's part it's, of why I need a new body. John. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow, you know, I, I think that we will recognize each other in a way beyond even the physical. Uh, in other words, when, when we're in heaven, absent from the body at home with the Lord, we're, we we do not have a body. We aren't, have an earthly body. We won't have our glorified bodies yet. So people who are the dead in Christ right now in heaven, uh, are there in spirit, in soul and spirit. And yet, uh, there appear, there appears in scripture several stories in which dead people do recognize each other. So we have the story of the rich man and Lazarus and Hades and they, he knows Father Abraham and said, well, how did they know him? He doesn't have a physical body. He didn't even meet and know what Abraham looked like. And yet they knew, I think, at a spiritual level. So we're, I think we're going to see much more clearly uh, in a spiritual sense, if you will, as opposed to a physical
3: sense. I think the transfiguration is a great example. That there you go. You get Moses and Elijah and even Peter, James, and John recognized him. Exactly. And, of course, Jesus, the mystic he, he was glorified there. So there is a, definitely a conscience a conscious uh, recognition of one another. Uh, so I tell you what, it's, the sky's the limit, really. Yeah, it is. All right, here's another question regarding what we're just chatting about now uh, concerning the
0: rapture. Scripture says the dead in Christ shall rise first. If believers who have died are, are already with Jesus, does it mean they shall be transformed first? The word rise is confusing to me. It is confusing. Uh, it
1: took me a while teaching on the rapture to realize that rising is because everybody has a picture of the bodies coming up out of the grave when they see that word rising. And really what that word means in First Thessalonians four sixteen is where this rapture passage is that describes this, means our resurrection. It means our glorification. It really doesn't have to do, back to our conversation about the grave, it really doesn't have anything to do with the dead in Christ rising up out of graves in some way. It has to do with the dead in Christ who are in heaven right now, receiving their resurrected body so that that is a very insightful
0: question i might add i agree all right if people see ghosts of their loved ones are they demons tricking them
2: what's that ghost telling them this is always what seems <laughs> yeah. to happen right is yeah. uh I, and i hear this story so often uh, where their deceased loved ones come to them and they, and they didn't know Jesus and they tell them everything's wonderful. Um, I can't tell you how often I've heard this story. And, uh, and so often those type of messages seem deceitful and I understand, right. And it's something that I think that we need to be mindful of is people truly miss their loved ones. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and And part of this even could just be uh, somebody feeling something or or creating something to try to comfort themselves during this hard time. Um, but, uh, but I would encourage you that this is not your loved one. You're when, when people are absent from the body, they're present with the Lord. And, uh, and so it's not something to further communicate with or to look for, for any insight or wisdom. And, and, and uh, I, I feel for your pain. I feel for your loss, uh, but do not continue in that direction. It won't go well.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I think another, just to bounce off of that, I think memory is a very important part uh, memory is a very important part of our our makeup, our, our our life experience, and so when we have a loved one that's passed, that we we're maybe something catastrophic happened, and you have that fond memory or that longing for that, sometimes we that we have that reflection and all that, so it definitely can seem real, and I think we want it to be real in, in many cases, anyways. Usually these are in, in positive situations, but I think ultimately you got to say, okay, where is the background for this, and and you got to look, look at Scripture. And so there is a reality absent from the body, present with the Lord. And so they're, in fact, they're in a better place than we could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, why bringing them back to this world? Um, you know, we're we're just uh, we're just passing through.
1: Mm-hmm. I think there's potentially actually three possibilities. If you or have know somebody that's trying to contact the dead, I think there's a lot of fraudsters out there. It's like, yeah, your your grandfather gave you a something. Uh, a, it was an item, uh, something, a locket oh yeah, a locket. And inside that locket, he said, he's saying there was something in it. and then, And then the person comes back and they're reading the person and giving information, leading questions. And so they really don't have any insight. I think the second possibility is that it is demonic activity. These demons have been around when grandpa was around and could be potentially impersonating them. But I actually believe there's a third possibility. I think it's rare, but I think just as Saul called up Samuel from the dead. There are instances, and that's, I think that's why God says, don't touch any of that stuff. All these soothsayers and clairvoyants and all that kind of spiritual stuff, stay away from that, Israel. Avoid all that stuff. And because I think in, in some way, shape, or form, it is potentially possible. I, I'm not believers today because they're with the Lord um but it seems to have happened in scripture and that it's a possibility at least but i think the f- number 1 and number 2 are probably most likely in most cases that you see today
0: all right i've got two questions that have come in on isaiah 53 so i think we'll tackle that when we come back after break let me know what question you have for the panel 8779332484 you're listening to guide talk and we can't wait to get your question Don't be shy. Send it over. 877-933-2484. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And right now, there are kids in desperate need of Jesus. Food and medical care. This is your time to become their champion, to change their life. When you sponsor just one, one child, you plant seeds of hope in their heart, and you work together with people on the ground to change the families, communities, and the future of these kids. You might not be able to change the world, but for one child, you can change theirs. Meet the kids. Find your child at myfaithradio.com. We're back with Guide Talk. Great questions coming in. Thank you for sending them over. 877-933-2484. My panel today is Jeff, Trevor, and Aaron. Can you speak on Isaiah three I'm going to look your direction, Trevor, Rubenstein, Stein, Stein. <laughs> I'll go by I either. like being playful.
2: yeah, yeah. I, I know what it is. It's oh, Stein. You're you're uh, I guess, I like you're in the minority. Uh, I, it, it, most people have no idea. Even after I've known them for a long time and tell them, it's still Stein. But uh, <laughs> that's, so I just go with it. No, know? I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Bill. But anyway, so see, look, I remember your name, Bill. Yeah, I know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what a wonderful section of scripture, right? And what a powerful section of scripture. So this is written approximately 600 years before the birth of Jesus, and gives the most accurate, uh, most complete description of our Lord in Isaiah chapter 53. It's actually it's a section that begins in isaiah chapter 52 uh starting in verse 13 where it says behold my servant right and so this really is the introduction for this uh this uh description of the messiah it even describes his appearance it's actually the only section of scripture in isaiah chapter 53 that talks about what jesus looked like i got in trouble on a catholic radio program one time when i said that he wasn't beautiful according to scripture um but uh but anyway so uh because it says he's very he's normal looking it's says that there's nothing spectacular about him in this section. But anyway, so uh, so really to get the context of verse 5, really all we have to do is go to verse 4 where it says, Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes, we are healed. And so, really, it's giving a depiction of an individual that suffered, that suffered tremendously. And in his suffering, people around him, they felt like that this was justice, that this was right. But really, his suffering was for everyone, for all of humanity, for everyone past, present, and future. Because Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself, as stated in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And suffered for us because you see our sin results in death. This is the consequence of sin. And yet what Jesus did is he took the consequence that we deserve our punishment for our sin, the thing that, that causes this great division between us and God. And he put it upon himself and he suffered for us so that then we don't have to. And this is really the depiction, the, the suffering of that we deserve for our sins before God, as He took it upon Himself and gave us eternal life, and it's just very clear in that section. And then the the other section that you mentioned was Second Peter, right, or First Peter?
0: It was Second Peter,
2: yeah, chapter.
0: First um, Peter two, I'm sorry,
1: First Peter 24. 24. That's
2: right. First Peter quote for Isaiah fifty two, yeah. basically, and 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 it does and. Uh, Sorry, I, I keep going back to First Peter. Let me try Second Peter. That's no First Peter. It is First right. Peter two uh, yeah, twenty four. Yeah, yeah. yep, I got it. So so it says, Who himself bore our sins, in his own body on the tree, that we have died to sin, might live her righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray. Of course, as it continues, similar, uh, identical to Isaiah chapter fifty three verse uh, six, I believe, but have now returned. To the Shepherd and overseer of your souls and so what happens now if we look at the Hebrew scriptures um there was uh there's a condemnation that that makes the statement that anyone uh that is hung hung on a tree shall be cursed right and so uh And so really what's even being emphasized here is that Jesus took the curse of humanity upon himself, the curse of separation from God, and died and put that to death so that then we could be reconciled. It's very powerful and important because the reality is each and every one of us have sinned, and that sin separates us from God eternally. And the only hope that we can have to be reconciled to God is something greater than ourselves, something beyond what any of us could do, then has to happen to intercede on our behalf. And if you think about this as we're coming up on Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement, the people of Israel uh, sacrificed an animal, and that animal allowed the people of Israel to be forgiven for one year from their sins so they could dwell in the presence of God without physically dying. And if it took an animal to die for the people of Israel to be forgiven for one year, then what kind of sacrifice would it take in order for all of humanity, not just for one year, but for all of eternity and not just, uh, and not just for, uh, for our physical flesh before eternal life and not just the sins of his Israel, but the sins of all the world past, present and future. It had to be God himself who came down and offered himself. Mm. Very mm.
0: Nice Trevor. One other question related to Isaiah 53, five regarding the transgressions and iniquities and his wounds. Healing us, I hear many sermons about Jesus was crucified for my sins, but what should I take away about what are my transgressions
3: and iniquities? This is a beautiful passage. By the way, I want to say this: that Isaiah fifty three is probably the most clear, as Trevor said, the probably most clear description of the prophecy of the Messiah, the coming Messiah, and the reason why he came to this earth. But understand this, that most people are Jewish friends, and I would say even Christian friends have really never read Isaiah 53. They maybe have heard a verse or something like that, but never really studied it. So I challenge you, get in this. This chapter will change your life. And with that in mind, so what is this talking about here, talking about these transgressions, these iniquities, these, these sins that we need to be cleansed from because we're sheep going astray, the iniquity of us all? What's going on? By the way, I would say that Isaiah 53, verse 6 especially, this is really the John three sixteen of the Old Testament, when you think of that. So, what's going on here is this that it says here that, it, going back to verse 3, that he is despised, rejected man, man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And the word grief there, some translations will say diseases. And that's the Hebrew word cholé, which again talks about that. So, what this is referring to, I believe, has to do with you connect it to leprosy. Remember, going back to the Levitical law, when someone was leprous, they, were had, they had to stay outside the camp. Remember Miriam, Moses and Aaron's sister, after she and Aaron rebelled. Not this Aaron, by the way. I want to make sure that's clear. <laughs> <laughs> had nothing to do with that. Okay, But anyways, because of that, God judged her. She became leprous. She had to stay without the camp uh, until the, basically the priest declared her clean. And so what is happening is here that Jesus – or I'm, we're, I don't want to put Jesus into the text unnecessarily, but as you look at that, see what Jesus did. He, the, the way he would be associated was with someone who is acquainted or basically is one with diseases. He is like leprosy. He took our leprosy upon himself. And it's interesting. There's actually rabbinical writing that declare – when the Messiah comes, how will you identify him? He's the one who sits among the lepers. That's how they saw them around the uh, close to the first century, maybe a little bit after that. That's how they determine that. Mm. So when Jesus comes, what does he do? One of the first miracles that Jesus does, he changes the water into wine. And then shortly after that, he heals a leper. No one in their right mind would have touched a leper physically, but that's exactly how Jesus did that. He does that. And so he associates himself with the lepers. He's acquainted with diseases. And in that, he takes our diseases upon himself. That's the only way we can be clean. A leper could not declare themselves clean. Even more so, we cannot declare ourselves forgiven from our own sin. We can't forgive ourselves. I can't forgive your sin. Only one person can. That's a suffering Messiah. That's the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. It says in Isaiah 53 verse 10, that he will give a soul an offering for sin. There's some, in fact, it's a common Jewish interpretation. You talk to a Jewish friend who has read this or talk to the rabbi, and Trevor, you say, who is this referring to? It's referring to Israel. Yeah. Israel's the one who suffered. Israel the one who was acquainted with grief and went as a lamb to the slaughter. And, and by Jewish history, we sympathize with that interpretation. But when you look at it as an, in its context, this is referring not to a nation. This is referring to an individual and so i think that's the, that's the difference and by the way what a change it makes though so when you read through the end of Isaiah 53 that it ends in triumph because why that's that servant will see will be satisfied he will uh, he will see his seed okay that means after all the suffering's gone through even the violent death he encounters he will live again that's exactly what jesus did for us beautiful picture yeah that's fantastic all right we're going to take a break here in about a minute i just
0: got a text that said Please uh pray for my let's see, I'm sorry. Um that my my husband is a Jewish believer and his divorced parents have written him off. Mm. Please yep. pray for reconciliation and healing for my husband. Yeah,
2: we understand that. Yeah. Yeah, let's pray. Now, but Father, Lord, we do pray for this man, God. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are the father that we could never have or be. And so we ask that you be that now for this man, God, in a deep way. Father, that you comfort him. Lord, that you allow him to see, God, that there is no sacrifice that is greater, Father, than the sacrifice you made for us. And so, Lord, we ask that you heal his heart. But also, Father, we do pray for his parents, God. Lord, that you will start to touch them, God. Father, that you will show them, God, that this decision that this man has made has made him into the, a better person, God. that Father, we ask you to work powerfully in his life as a testimony to his parents, God. Let them see the truth of what he came to, God, Father, in hopes of reconciling them. And, and just really quick, brother, uh, uh, so, so as we lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. O- right. oft, often this doesn't last forever.
0: We'll be right back with uh, lots more.
2: It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show
3: with Bill
0: Arnold. Welcome back to the show. If you just tuned in, glad to have you with us. It's Guy Talk. Time to answer questions, preferably yours, 877 933 2484. My panel is Jeff, Trevor, and Aaron. question i have is something my son asked me uh said that allah or allah is the same god as god and that he is the god of the patriarchs your response
2: and i guess it would really depend on what they mean right so uh so in 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 Arab, in arab excuse me in uh arabic The term Allah is a word used generically for God, even in the book of Daniel, actually. In Aramaic, you'll see the name of God used as Ella, Uh, so kind of uh, similar in... uh, in in uh, pronunciation but uh but it depends so again if they're talking about uh the generic term or they're talking about the individual referenced in the quran because uh the god referenced in the quran clearly has distinctions as i'm going to pass it off to our panel to go into (laughs) i could go but i'm going to give
1: it to you guys i i think that's the main point i you don't have to get too far in to studying Islam and studying Christianity to realize that you're not talking about the same God. And, I, and I'm going to focus it on the person of Jesus Christ and who he is, right? Because in the end, Christianity believes that Jesus is God in the flesh who came and died for the sins of the world, as we were describing before the break, and rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We have an understanding of a tri, triune nature of God. God is the Father, the Son, and the holy spirit islam has no concept of the deity of christ they they recognize christ but he's a prophet of god just one of many prophets but not god in the flesh and as c.s lewis argued that that's not something that jesus left open as an option you either have to write him off as a liar or a lunatic or worship him as lord you can't call him a good teacher or a prophet of god that he he said he is god in the flesh interestingly On the Temple Mount, where God's house sat, there is currently an Islamic structure called the Dome of the Rock uh, sitting on that Mount of Olives. One of the things that it says uh, in Arabic is God has no son. Um, So you don't have to get too far in your studies of these two belief systems to understand that the God of the Bible is not the God of Islam and vice versa.
3: You're looking in Deuteronomy, God is a rock; His way is perfect; all His ways are justice. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right as He. So when we look at God, He is the He is truth, and so everything when someone names God, Allah, for example, is that leading us to truth? And of course, we would say the fulfillment is uh, God in the flesh is Jesus exactly. So when we tie in into uh, we say the great monotheistic religions of the world. What truth is it driving us to? If it's driving us to, to God himself, the God of heaven, then, then, and I believe that within Judaism, within the, when we look at the Old Testament, Judaism is referring to, I believe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, I think it's interesting, uh, when we look at Islam happened hundreds of years later, um, it, of course, chronologically. And so having Allah and talking about the Dome of the Rock, I've been inside the Dome of the Rock before they shut it down after 2000, after Ariel Sharon went up there with the Intifada. And uh, it's it's a different place. It's I mean, that's where the temples used to stand, where the name of God. God says, I will put my name here uh, in all the earth. It will be represented here in Jerusalem at the temple. And so, but the thing, it was a place to, of truth that brought people back to who he was and their place in the universe. And Allah, I believe, is, is it's a different picture of that. It, it takes a step aside yeah I mean both Islam and Judaism
1: actually one of their criticisms of Christianity is that they believe we are polytheists right they don't have this yep. triune nature of God so both of them will make that make that claim but in in the end you have to come back to the person of Jesus and and this is true about you know any belief system that you come across whether it's you know Mormonism or or Jehovah witnesses or or Islam or whatever it is what do you do with the person of
0: Jesus who Do men say that I am, Jesus said. Yeah, well done. All right. Revelation 20 says the sea gave up her dead and death and Hades gave up its dead. Who are these people?
1: I think in context, it's the lost. What's happening right in that passage immediately after that is what are they being brought up to? And in scripture right there in Revelation chapter 20, what the next event is, the great white throne judgment. This is judgment day. This is all of the lost from the beginning of man's history until that day that will be brought before the throne of God. Now picture the scene. God is on the throne. All authority has been given to Christ who's on the throne. And Paul says that we believers will judge the world. So I think on one side is God and Christ and his bride, the church. In front of that are all the unbelievers. And they will be judged. And the bottom line is that their names will not be found in what is described in Scripture as the Lamb's Book of Life. And unfortunately, Scripture says that anybody's name who is not found in the Lamb's Book of Life is thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. And that is the fate of the lost, because what comes next right after that is God says he makes all things new, a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and God says nothing unrighteous will ever enter into it. So God has to take care of those who are unrighteous so he can make everything new. And we who have the righteousness of God can enter into
0: eternity with the king of righteousness. Nicely done. All right. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, it says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. That's the New King James Version. Did Paul need this knowledge for his ministry travels, or was there a common language? I don't so read that question. I don't know that I'm completely understand the question. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18 says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Did Paul need this knowledge for his ministry travels, or was there a common language? So he's speaking multiple tongues. Did he need this as he traveled?
2: Yeah, well, and, and in this section, right, uh, Paul talks about the tongues of men and angels, and so... Uh, you know i don't i don't have a uh, any issue whatsoever in scripture with the idea of a angelic tongue although also it looks like there's tongues of men that are spoken and of course that would have been used uh ministerially but not just exclusively ministerially either because uh, there's also a, t- a gift of interpretation um and so, uh, and so this also could have played part. But yes, uh, so in the spreading of the gospel, of course, being able to speak in other languages would be very effective. Um, but also he seemed to use a, uh, a tongue that was also for personal connection to the Lord because it was even forsaken for them to say it or to use it in public without interpretation. And, uh, and so, uh, and so clearly this was something then that also would have been personal between an individual and God. Mm-hmm.
3: I think just uh, looking in context, too, the Corinthians church had a a lot of different problems within it, and he was kind of calling them out on several different issues. In these chapters, really chapter 12 through 14 specifically, he's talking about spiritual gifts, uh, referring to uh, speaking in tongues and people who are using this but abusing it as well and kind of being prideful about it. Hey, look what I can do. And Paul says, here, I'm I think God, I speak more than you all. I mean, it's like don't you're not you are not going to top me. Basically, he's, he's not saying prideful; he's just keeping him in check. Mm-hmm. Is what's going on, and so in fact, this this the spiritual gift or gift of spirit is actually the, one of the least of the least of the gifts um, is the idea. And if you don't do this without without charity or without love, agape love—that's chapter thirteen—really, you're just making a bunch of noise and. And sound and all that. So it basically shapes up. And of all the corrections that Paul gave in 1st and even 2nd Corinthians, in fact, there's supposedly Paul wrote maybe two other epistles to the Corinthians as well. Of all the chastisement he gives, I think this is probably one of the churches he loved the most in doing that. So kind of an interesting thought. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Aaron Broughton. All right. When the world is restored, what keeps Christians from repeating the cycle of sin all over again?
2: Ah. Resurrected bodies <laughs> okay. uh, so so i 've actually had this discussion with uh many um, different religious people uh, particularly jewish people uh, for, and uh, and the question becomes um, if we can attain some level of righteousness personally or our own righteousness, then why do we need resurrected bodies uh, so what what happens is is the uh, upon the, the, we, there's two clear components that we see in us in, uh, in Genesis that God creates us from. So he creates our bodies from the earth and then he breathes our soul into us, right? It says he breathes his breath into us at this point in time. And so really death is the, is the time to where the body goes into the grave, but then the soul of the individual goes to be with the Lord. And there's a reason that the body doesn't go, It's be, even, even in the redeemed, because the body is defiled. And the body is the weak point for humanity. And so what happens is it gives us new bodies that do, that do not have sin nature, that has not passed down from generation to generation and also has not been corrupted by our own sinful decisions. And so this allows us then, because we have the spirit of the Lord dwelling in us, to then lead us in righteousness without the weakness of temptation that the physical body has. Let me just add one more thing. Totally agree with everything that
1: Paul says we're made body, soul, and spirit, spirit right? Mm-hmm. So we are perfected right now in our born-again state spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, our body is wasting away, right? And that will be perfected, and that's the glorified body that we've talked about actually a lot on this show today. Uh, but also, don't forget, our soul is also going to be perfected. And so it's kind of the question I've, I've been asked in class. It's, it's like, well, will we, will we still have free will in heaven? And I answer it, do you think Jesus has free will in heaven? Well, of course, we think Jesus has free will. Does he sin? Well, no. Well, we're going to be glorified like Christ. And so I think we are going to be perfected body, soul, and spirit uh, in, uh, in that day of our resurrection. So,
0: Interesting point. I like that, Jeff. Mm. All right. What about praying? I talk to him all the time throughout the day in my car, walking my dog. I don't have a specific place at my house at a specific time to get on my knees and pray. Is that okay?
3: Well, we're supposed to pray without ceasing, which is (laughs) really make it a habit of prayer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I would encourage people, and I've done this myself, is have a place of prayer. I think that's a good thing. Pray as you go throughout your day, you know, as you're going to the grocery store, for example. Give each thought to the Lord is kind of the idea. Um, but to make a, a kind of a time where you spend some time with the Lord, prayer is really an exercise of faith. It's our communication with God. I think sometimes, though, when we when we pray, a lot of times we do all the talking. Could you I can Trevor? I don't know. Jeff, you too. I can't imagine talking to my wife. And then all of a sudden I'm done talking. And I leave the room. And I think sometimes that's how we do it with God, too. We just do all the talking and we don't stop to listen. What God has to say, my wife would kill me. And if she's listening today, forgive me. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that should be a, 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 it should be a routine part of our lives and throughout the day. But I think it's good to have a quiet time, maybe a quiet place of prayer. And that could be not just one place, maybe a couple places.
1: places. Mm-hmm. All right. Je- uh, sorry, oh, great, really quick. Jeff. Jesus would often early in the morning, right? Go off by himself and have that uh, uh, fellowship with God, the father. Right. Um, so that is a pattern that we see in scripture. Jesus, after all lived by perfect faith. And so that was his practice. That should be ours too. I think for early Christians, if you're just starting out on this and you think, well, how can I pray all day long? Well, then at least pick some point in your day, right? And, and think about this before your feet hit the floor, before food touches your mouth, before your head hits the pillow, that would be a great place to start. To thank the Lord, pray for your day, thank him for your food and and pray at the end of your day. Uh, but uh also start your day, start your morning, I mean every morning
0: with the Lord. Well said, Jeffrey Dorn. We'll take a break and come back. We have one more segment of Guy Talk. If you have a question, send it over. You're we're still waiting to get your question. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold, host of The Afternoon Show. My friend and colleague, Susie Larson, will say that even when you feel discouraged, God is still there. He's still good. He cares about you and is in the business of fixing what is broken to make you whole. Experience his peace today. This month, thanks to our friends at Thomas Nelson, Faith Radio is giving away 100 copies of Susie Larson's new book, Waking Up to the Goodness of God, 40 Days Toward Healing and Wholeness. You can enter to win yours right now at MyFaithRadio.com. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. All right, guys, you're doing a great job today. We're going to have to uh, keep it snappy here because we've got a lot of questions we're still going to try to cover in our remaining time. Here's a question in Joel Chapter 2, it says old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. Should we put a lot of thought into dreams and visions? Does God communicate to us in these ways? So an easy question to answer very quickly. <laughs>
3: that's a big question. You guys want to Oh, you're see? looking at me? Yeah. Okay. I, uh, just really quick, that's obviously prophecy. It's really talking about the coming of the Lord, coming in judgment. And so it really was a sign of judgment. But also you see a, a quick, uh, part of Peter's sermon at the Day of Pentecost in Acts two. So, in other words, it was a notice to Israel and also to the nations to wake up, Lord is coming. So, I think you got to put it in context. I think a lot of people when they look at dreams and visions, they're looking for something personal. God speak to me, do something like that. And really, it's a bigger message than that.
0: All right, thank you for that, Aaron. Um, you said God is Jesus in the flesh. Can you explain? I thought Jesus is the Son of God. It's two people. And the holy spirit the trinity
1: yeah so there are many passages in scripture that describe this idea of the divinity of christ so he's called emmanuel god with us uh, john 10 i believe it's when the people around him were going to kill him and jesus says why are you trying to kill me and he says because you a mere man claim to be god so the people around Jesus understood that he was claiming to be God. When the paralytic was lowered down from the ceiling into the room, Jesus didn't just say, you're healed and walk. He said, so that you may know the son of man has the power to forgive sin. He says, get up and walk he says, your sins are forgiven. Everybody in that room would have known that only God forgives sin. So in so many ways, Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. John chapter 1, in the beginning once the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus' body was made by God in the womb of the Virgin. That's why he's called the Son of God. But never forget that Jesus is the creator of all things. By him, all things were made that were made.
0: Nicely said. All right. Here's a question: What does it look like? Do you want to say something, Trevor? No, I, okay. I think, the I think he's pointing at so, him. Oh, Aaron, percent. you were pointing at him. Yeah, yeah. Very confusing. I don't care anybody. what the
3: question is; he'll get it. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. What does it look like when a Christian husband leads his house for the Lord, asking is a Christian oh, wife who has wonderful. a Christian husband, but he doesn't seem to necessarily be leading? Yeah. He sets a good personal example, but doesn't guide me or my young daughter.
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh so really godly leadership is a beautiful thing and this is also set up in John chapter 10. So we could we could just <laughs> camp out in this area, but godly leadership is service. Uh because Jesus says that the people of this world lord it over others, but uh, he said, but that shall not be amongst you because the son of man did not come to be served but to serve. And so godly leadership is propping up others it's not forcing others to serve me but it's instead in my role so for example my role as a husband my role as a father should be to elevate my wife and my children and to help strengthen their walk with the lord to really focus on how do i put them into a better place how do i provide for them how do i do these different things and so if you struggle with this and this can be a legitimate thing in your home pray for your husband Love him the way that the Lord instructs you to love him and live out as a testimony and continue to go to church, continue to read and pray together, and these things will help you guys grow in these areas. Hmm. Anybody
0: else want to jump in? No, great word. That's a great word. That's good. Yeah. Here's another question about the glorified body. Uh, Once we get to heaven and look around and praise our Lord... Do you think we will be sad or mourn for our loved ones that didn't make it? Thanks, guys. You are amazing. Keep on I, keeping on.
2: Let me tell you this. I think we need to live as if we would, because I think it's important that we have a lifestyle of sharing Jesus with those who we love. And uh, and so that's that's important. But, of course, as Jeff's about to share with us. <laughs> that, 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 he's, that He's ready. That, that, that in heaven things will be perceived differently. But I think it's important that we live as if we truly want to see these people in eternity. Well, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, that should be the motivating factor for
1: us. We should have a sense of urgency about the day that we live because there eternity is rush, is going to rush upon us very quick. And death seals the fate of every man. And, uh, so to, that's why God says today is the day of salvation. But I was, I was going to go to this passage in Revelation. We were talking about it earlier with the great white throne. Right after that, God says he wipes every tear from our eye. A lot of people say, well, that means there's no crying in heaven. And, and I would, I'd like to point out that he's actually wiping the, our tears away, meaning we were crying. Well, why were we crying? Well, we just saw most of mankind go through the broad gate To destruction. They were thrown into the lake of fire. Now, if God wishes none to perish and that that day is going to break his heart, I think it's going to be a sad day for us too. I think we're going to realize that it couldn't be any other way, but we do shed a tear and then the God of all comfort is going to wipe away our tears on that day. But that verse comes right
0: after the judgment of the lost. Any other thoughts? Okay. <laughs> How about first John chapter two verse eighteen through twenty? 1 John chapter two verse eighteen through twenty. Do you take this as there is always an Antichrist waiting for the rapture, since only God knows when it will come? Does Satan have one on standby all the time? You're smirking, Jeff. <laughs> um, I actually know a
1: little bit about this argument. Uh, Ed Hinson, uh, bless his soul, he's passed now. Uh, wonderful teacher in the end times, but he used to teach this. And it's been repeated and taught uh, by many that that because Satan doesn't know the time of God's coming, that he always has an antichrist in waning. Now, remember, anybody who opposes Christ is an antichrist. And scripture says that they they are already here. But we're talking about the Antichrist when when he comes. I actually don't think it's necessary because there's a little verse in Revelation 17 where it says, this beast that you saw once was, now, now this is kind of an obscure passage, but who once was, now is not, but is coming again up out of the abyss. So I don't think the Antichrist needs to be on earth before the tribulation comes waiting for you know some man in every generation i think the antichrist is going to rise out of the abyss when that first seal of revelation which releases the antichrist this deceiver riding on a white horse comes so i actually don't think it's necessary for satan to have a a potential antichrist in every generation even though there are many antichrists already in the world as first john says did that make sense? It's kind of a. I, I would love to spend about a half hour on this because it's we're, a really cool concept. We're in, the,
2: we're in the speed round, though.
1: I know yeah. we're in the speed round,
2: yeah. so
3: no, you guys can uh, make comments. We've got a couple minutes. Left. I think really quickly, talking. You know, John is expressing the urgency. He's probably the last apostle who lived, outlived the others. You know, and so with the, and he reminds us of the return of Christ for sure. But he says, you know, there are going to become false teachers and you got to keep your antenna up, so to speak, be on guard for that. There is the Antichrist coming, but there's also other false teachers that are going to be in the midst. And he goes on to say they went out from us because they were not of us. And so be on guard. And basically, how do you do that is by your relationship, the fellowship that you have with one another in Jesus Christ. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you through that. And so it's grounded back to our relationship with Jesus Christ. And by all means, Anyone listening today, if you don't know Christ, get to know him. Get in his word. Mm -hmm. Jesus will change your life. Amen. Mm -hmm.
0: Let's talk about that in our remaining time. If you've been listening to today's broadcast and you've heard some passages discussed, which maybe have been over your head, right? This has not been basic arithmetic. Sometimes it's been upper-level calculus. (laughs) I think you guys have done a masterful job of explaining, but unless you are a little bit of a student of the word— some of the, some of it might have been very challenging today, right? Yeah. This has been a meaty couple hours for sure. It really has, it's been good. guys. Yeah, yeah, it has it really been has. good. But I, I, I'm, I know there's somebody listening that says, "I this sounds interesting, a little complicated, but I don't know where exactly I am with my believing in Jesus. I, I'm still kind of resistant."
2: What would you say to them right now? The gospel's so simple, okay, and so powerful. Because what happens is, is we sin and our sin separates us from a holy God. That holy God dwells in eternity. So every, all, all of humanity has the same problem. We all die. But what the Lord did is he took his son that suffered the suffering that we deserve for our sin that separated us from God. And then he put it upon him and he died on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the grave. So those of us that put our faith and trust in Jesus, that truly believe in his death for our sins and his resurrection, that same eternal life can come upon us. And so why do we believe this? Well, because Jesus did it first. And if you want to know how to overcome death, it makes sense to follow the only man who ever physically overcame the grave. People in other religious systems might say their spirit goes to do this or their spirit goes to do that. But only Jesus physically overcame the grave so that it's irrefutable that he is the way, the truth, and the life.
0: Gentlemen, thank you so much. It's been a blast once again. Another great time of talking about the Lord, and I appreciate you guys being here. Thank you, Bill. All right, that's all we have for today, but that doesn't mean we're not going to do it again next week, because we are. You can send your questions over any time. Have a great night. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow.